This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 141, Religious Delusions. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, powers at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric Sutton. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. Today's episode 141, Religious Delusion. And we've got a special guest joining us one more time, Brother Robert Militello. Now, you may remember Brother Robert Militello is a pastor up in New York City. And uh, guess what? He's flown down to Florida and uh, he's he's not a snowbird. He's actually come home to roost there in Florida, haven't you, brother? Amen. Yeah, this is probably where I'll have to take off the rapture right to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, we've tuned in to Religious Delusion. Um, excited and ready to see what the Lord's got for us today. So, um, and what the Lord has given you, brother Militello. So, go ahead and take it away. All right, thank you, Brother Eric, and God bless all all of you that tune in and listen and want to be instructed in the Word of God. Uh, That's my job, and that's what I intend to do until the trumpet sounds or until he calls me home in another way. But I'm happy in the Lord because I'm doing what I know he wants me to do. Uh, If you get a little breathing or something here, it's not the result of the machinery uh, that Brother Eric has, but it's really my phone. Most likely it's an older phone, and uh, I just have to make the best of it. Now, I'm going to be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll open your King James Bible there, and I'll talk to you about what's meant by religious delusions. Now, Paul pinpoints Well, first of all, this is the right place to be today uh, for Christians in America, because we are in the last days of the church age. I think you ought to know that. Not the last days of the present world system. No, not, not, not that. But the last days of the church age. And the church age could end today. There's nothing specific about exactly when. Uh, And nobody knows, there's nothing in the Bible indicating the amount of time that will lapse between the end of the church age and the coming of the Lord. Uh, It's some say seven years, some say three and a half years, 10, 10 and a half years. Clarence Larkin, I think, even mentioned a much longer time than that. There's no exact way you could pinpoint that and say here's the amount of time that's going to pass so when the church leaves all hell will break loose for sure but we're already seeing that so we know we're about to leave we're already seeing a tremendous deterioration in the glue that holds society together you don't have to read the Bible and know that you you just turn on the news every night and you see it with your own eyes uh, it's getting really, really wicked. And the Lord, it looks like uh, he's just turned us over. I'm, I'm thinking of 
Job uh, and the Lord saying to Satan, you know, you could work him over, but don't kill him. And boy, what a work over that was. That poor man was left with boils and sores and in a pathetic state. And he once was prosperous and healthy and enjoying his family. And then the Lord just allowed the devil to work him over. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about America which there's no there's no place in prophecy where you find America exactly. Uh, America, blessed of God, prosperous, strong, and being turned over now, obviously, by the Lord to the devil uh, to be worked over. And we are getting worked over. And Paul characterizes the last days of the Christian, the church here in, in America, especially the conditions that will exist. And they're here. So starting with the first verse, chapter three, verse one, this know also that in the last days, remember, that's the church last days, perilous times shall come. Well, the violence, you, you know, you just have to, again, watch the news and you see what's going on. These are perilous days, no doubt. American society has not gone through days such as these. Then he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the selfie generation. Me, 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 me. And the megachurches uh, push that out. It's all about you. You go to the average Christian bookstore and it's, uh, it's just junk. You know, 10 ways to feel better with the Lord, uh, 14 ways to improve your relationships, uh, 15 ways to get the proper diet working for you. So, yeah, I mean, it's all baloney. It's all garbage. Uh, even in the Catholic catechism years ago, the Baltimore catechism, which I had going to Catholic school, you were told that you were created for the glory of God. Amen. Simple statement. And it's a true one. Now it seems to have been reversed in these last days. Uh, we no longer exist for the glory of God. He exists to please us. See, it's been turned around. It's all about you. See, God's there and just really concerned about you and ready to pour out all kinds of blessings upon you if you do X, Y, and Z. So he says, "Men, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, amen, every commercial on TV shows you that we're a covetous society, boasters, yeah, I'm good preacher, I'm okay, proud, oh boy, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, don't we have that today, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. What do you mean? Well, mothers get rid of their babies, don't they? Or the, the, the fetus. They, they, they don't have that natural affection. The idea of God giving me this gift and I'm carrying a, a, a fetus that will become a living child in my body. And without natural affection, they sometimes throw away these fetuses and gar these babies in garbage cans or flush them down a the toilet. It's hard to imagine. It's wicked. Uh, without natural affection, truce breakers, uh, uh, false accusers. Oh, our whole legal system is tied up in knots with ongoing litigation that never seems to end. He said this, this one suing that one, wrongful death, wrongful this, wrongful that. Uh, uh, false accusers, incontinent. They can't contain themselves. No self-control. Fierce. That thing shows up with the Antichrist. Fierce. That's a description of him also in Daniel. Fierce. Despises of those that are good. Well, we have that. 
despises of those that are good. You have such wicked people that hate your light that comes out of you when you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Traitors, absolutely. They'll, they'll turn on their own loved ones. Heady. Yeah, I went to school, preacher. I know all about it. High-minded, thinking that they have a monopoly on truth because they're sincere. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, that's the entertainment industry. That's Hollywood. That's TV. That's the whole thing. Now, here's the thing I want to focus on because this seems to just stand out so clearly in these last days. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Having a form of godliness. Religious delusion is what it is. Now, you notice these characteristics of our society in the last days. Uh, there are 18 of them, if you count them. And that's 666. Six, six. 18 of these characteristics, beginning with, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, and ending here, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Well, what is the power thereof? What you know, you sing. We sing this song. There is power in the blood. Power in the blood. That's the power. That's the power. I'll give you an idea. I have sometimes Mormons ring the bell, and I keep them outside. Thank God. Same thing with Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, I don't know about Seventh Day Adventists too much here, but uh, well, even Church of Christ, Water Doors, Campbellites. Uh, now, when I deal with them. I look at them. I try and make eye contact and, and fix my eyes upon them. Uh, I know what they want to talk about. They, they'll they just go from scripture to scripture. You know, uh, how long was the earth here before Adam and Eve or some stupid stuff uh, that really doesn't amount to a hill of beans, uh, you know, pointing to this, that and the other thing. When the real issue is what is the condition of your soul? Are you saved? I put it right to them. Are you saved? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you in the body of Christ, connected to his body, bone to bone, joint to joint? And when I keep mentioning the blood of Jesus Christ, they can't they can't make eye contact with me, eye contact. Their eyes start darting back and forth. They want to go to another subject. Well, Jesus said this. I said, oh, put that aside for a second. What he said, what Peter said, but put that aside. What about the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you, have you been washed in the blood? Has full atonement been made for your soul? Are you on the way to heaven? And again, the eyes going back and forth. And I said, this is a clear giveaway. That something's lacking. <laughs> they don't have that power. They don't have it. I told a Christian once who we were talking about UFOs and he mentioned, you know, if I ever see them and I, I says, look, if they land in your backyard and these little creatures come out, I'll tell you what to do. And you'll know right away where these creatures are from. Just shout at them this scripture for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin and watch them scatter. Like when you turn on the light in the kitchen and all the roaches see the light for the first time, they scatter, they run all over. That's what's going to happen. There's something about the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in it. In Leviticus, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
the fact that the blood has power for the blood is the life of the flesh is in the blood, it says. In the blood. There's something about the blood of Jesus Christ that gives you power. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by what? The blood of Christ. You're drawn closer and closer to the Lord by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is a cleansing agent. But brothers and sisters, it's not going to be preached here in America in the last days. Very rarely will you get sermons about Calvary and the application of the blood to your mind and soul. Now, why is that? Well, we're living in in a time when Christians really really want Christ without the cross. That's what you have today, especially in all the mega churches. You have a crossless Christ. Uh, the messages are always going to be on your health and well-being and God wants to prosper you and God wants to work this out. And it, it, you're, it's everything but what you really need to hear to have victory in your life. That's what you're going to get in 95% of the churches in America on a given Sunday morning. They will not touch this issue. Why? The, the cross is a death instrument. It's a death instrument. It's negative. It's horrible to think about. It's kind of scary. So they wanted to put out comfortable stuff, stuff that doesn't scare you and makes you comfortable. You'll come back next week and continue to put your money in the basket. But we need to hear about the blood because there's no victory in Jesus. Like we sing that song, Victory in Jesus. There's power in the blood. And you must apply it. I wake up in the morning, Lord, cleanse me, cleanse my mind and heart, cleanse this place where I live, cleanse me in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That'll that'll purify the atmosphere. You know, some months ago, my son had open heart surgery. And thank God it was successful. Pretty serious stuff. Seven hour surgery. And he had to stay in the intensive care unit a little longer than usual. We were concerned, my family, we were concerned. And the doctor had said the uh, the oxygen level in his blood was too low to get him out of intensive care and put him in a regular room. They had to wait until it got higher. I don't know what they do to do that medication or what. And I thought about that. The, the Everything was fine, but the oxygen level, the oxygen level in the blood Now, you see that in the blood, the Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. His body was struggling to recover from a very complicated surgery. But the key element was the blood. The blood had to be right before it could be completely out of danger. And what does the blood need? Our blood needs oxygen. And what is in oxygen? Air. Air. Oxygenated blood is air. So, and water. Water water is H2O, it's oxygen. So the combination of being washed in the word and washed in the blood is perfect. That's exactly what we need. The washing of the of the word, the soul with by the word of God, we're washed. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Washing and cleansing. And when the Lord was pierced, out came blood and water. I'm really I'm looking at this having a form of godliness because that's what you have today in America with all the cults, you know, and many of these people live what appear to be godly lives. 
but they lack the power. They're not near the Lord at all. They're far, far away. Uh, and I remember as a Catholic, you know, being told the communion was the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I believed it because I didn't know any better. But that didn't make me any closer to the Lord at all. Didn't change anything. Just like I tell, well, preacher, I've been water baptized. So what? All that did was make you wet. Did it, did it get you closer to the Lord? Was there some magic in the ceremony? Well, amen. If you're saved, you ought to be water baptized to show the Lord that you've entered into this new life and you're willing to walk with him. But it has no power. The blood of Jesus Christ has power. And that's why this is a great danger here is from such turn away, having a form of godliness. That's why in the last 100, 150 years, you've had all these cults rise up, uh, especially in America. They're all over the place and they appear to be godly. They appear to be godly until you start talking about the cross and the blood that was shed. And why was it shed? Then you see things. Then your eyes open and say, uh-huh. You could profess godliness all you want, but something is missing. Something is lacking. There is no power there. There is no nearness to the Lord. Now, we're living in a time when too many Christians don't have power. Uh, they don't. They can't get the victory in their lives over many situations and addictions and habits and fears. They can't seem to get the victory. This was not the case years ago in America when hell was being preached, when you can hear sermons on the blood of Jesus Christ. This was not so. The majority of Christians were living victoriously. They were walking with the Lord, and it showed. It showed. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, Christians uh, are in defeat. Most now, it's it's more likely to find defeated Christians than victorious Christians. It used to be the other way around. Just like I said before, that we we were told you were made for the glory of God. You understood that. Now, you know, it seems that God was made for our pleasure, for our glory. Now, Paul warns about this condition even among Christians. So. We know that those that are in the cults, those that are apart from Christ and lost, we know that they can only have a form of godliness. They cannot have the power of, of, of the, the Holy Spirit, not at all, uh, because they've never been washed in the blood. But there are those in the body of Christ, having been washed in the blood, still can't get the victory, still have no power in their lives. And I run into them all the time here at Pensacola. And Paul warned about these members of the body of Christ. This is the tragedy of it. They say, oh, preacher, yes, I'm saved. Pray for me. Well, why don't you have the victory over this habit? Well, I'm struggling. Please remember, well, how long are you going to struggle? Is the scripture true? Is greater than he that is in you, greater than he that is in the world? Is that not so if you're a Christian? Yes. Well, what's preventing you from getting the victory? What's preventing you? Do you go to Calvary in the morning? Do you get cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know that'll give you the victory? That'll chase the devils away? Well, preacher, you have to pray for me. I say, you know, I'm tired of hearing that. Get the victory. You have someone in you. You, why would the Lord tell you to resist the devil and he will flee from you? Why would he tell you to do something you cannot do? Okay, now what's your real problem? 
You find it easier to succumb to the flesh than struggle and get the victory that God wants you to have and that you can have. But it takes effort. What does that effort require? You need to go to Calvary every morning in your heart and mind and apply the blood. And remember what was done there for you. There is power in the blood. The devil will run from that. Now, Paul warns about this situation, about Christians that are in this situation. A lot of people, sometimes I think, thinks this refers to unsaved people. This passage in Philippians chapter 3, turn to it, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. This is addressed to Philippian Christians, and they were a good church. They were a good church. You read the beginning of the letter, you'll see that. But there was a problem, and Paul is warning them here. He says, starting in verse 17, I'm in Philippians 3. Brethren, be followers together of me. Why, Paul? Because I live a holy life and I'm fully committed to serving the Lord. That's what. I, that's why I want you to be a follower of me. I, people say, you're a follower of Dr. Ruckman. You're a follower. I'm following anybody that lives a godly life, has sound doctrine, and there's evidence there of the fruits of the Spirit. They're not hidden away. They, they, they manifest themselves. So, you know, you follow this one and you follow that one. <laughs> I mean, this is, if they're following Jesus Christ, then why not follow them? Be followers of, together of me and mark them. What? Which walk so as ye have us for an example. In other words, look at me and my fellow laborers, the way we behave ourselves. And mark those that claim to be walking, but watch out. Watch out, because in parentheses, beginning with verse 18, there's that 666 again, 18. For many walk, notice that, not a few. For many, and the churches are loaded with them. The churches are loaded with them, especially the mega churches. Wow. They, they dominate. I'd say 80, 90% of those birds going to those places on a Sunday go into this, to fit into this description. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He, Paul was so tender. Actually wept over these people. Boy, we need that tenderness sometimes rather than look down upon them with disdain. Let's pray for them that they can come out of that religious delusion. Yes, preacher, I'm walking with the Lord. Oh, are you? Really? Are you? You know that for a fact or you're just supposing that because you have good feelings and you're sincere. And I now tell you, now tell you even weeping that they are what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul, what are you saying? I read that there are enemies of God and James, for he would love the world as not the friend of, the, of God. He's a friend. If you're a friend of the world, you're not God's friend. You're God's enemy. He would be a friend of, of the world as an enemy of God. So he has an enemies list. Those that love this world are enemies of God. But Paul, what are you saying here? There are other enemies and they are in the body of Christ. Yes. Enemies that are actually connected to the Lord have been saved. Yes. Well, what are they enemies of? Jesus Christ? How can that be? No, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. Now you see where the churches are today. You see where they are? Enemies of the cross. 
Wow, you wouldn't know that unless you spend time with a Christian like that. But here he tells about them in verse 19, whose end is destruction. Now, what does he have in mind there? The judgment seat of Christ, obviously. You're not going to go to hell if you're a member of the body of Christ. You're not. But he says here, whose end? Their earthly end is destruction. In other words, at the judgment seat of Christ, whatever they their, their life as a Christian goes up in flames. Whatever they did just melts away. And he gives the reason for it. Whose end is destruction. A big bonfire at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, boy, what's waiting for them? They have no idea. Why? And he explains why. Well, by the way, Paul had said to the Corinthians, knowing the terror of the Lord, uh, we persuade men. And that's in the context of the judgment seat of Christ. So when someone says, Brother Militello, can God be a terrorist? Oh, yeah. And you'll find out at the judgment seat of Christ. Sure he is. Sure he is. And he has terrorists working for him, Christian terrorists. That's supposed to preach so as to bring fear, bring fear. So you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I had a, uh, a Muslim once, an Arab in New York City working, telling me about, we're talking about the suicide bombers. How, how can anybody strap bombs on a kid and send them off to blow up other people? What kind of religion is that? He couldn't answer. And I said, by the way, you, uh, the Muslims didn't uh, start this thing about suicide bombers. He said, no. I says, no, you read it in the Bible. Samson, Samson was the first suicide bomber, and he was a Jew that had walked away from his God. Oh, I never read that. I says, well, read it, educate yourself. <laughs> a lot of Christians don't know that. Samson, first suicide bomber, leave it to a Jew. All right, he says here, and whose, whose God is their belly? That means physical. They're concerned with the physical things in life. Okay, that's they want to hear about material. They want to they want to improve their situation in life, finances, whatever. Uh, that's it. Their God is their belly. That's their physical existence here on earth. That's their main concern. Okay, you wouldn't know that, but you go to these mega churches, you, you hear the sermons from these preachers that. It's all material stuff. Your life on earth, how it could be made better. There's no cross in that stuff. And whose glory is in their shame. Whose glory is in their shame. They glory in what? Oh, look at this. God has blessed me. And I've got this. And I said, well, be careful. Be careful. Why, Brother Militello? Because maybe the other guy is blessing you. Maybe. Yeah, sure. He could bless you. You walk away from the Lord, and boy, he could bless you. I believe with all my heart, Elvis Presley was raised, brought to church by his mother, and knew the Lord as a young man, as a child. And he knew the Lord, but he walked away from the Lord. Somebody said, you could sing, you could this, you could that. And he bit into the apple, and he didn't realize what kind of worms were in there. And the, and the Lord cut him short, cut him short. Did he get blessed? Sure. Wine, woman, and song, and riches. Oh, he got blessed. This world blessed him. But where did it lead? Whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly? He was found dead in the bathroom there. Supposedly, they say, with a Bible open in his hand. Who knows? I don't know. But that's, that's their end. Many Christians today that you might know, that I know, 
this is this is what they had to look forward to destruction at the judgment seat of Christ, whose glory is in their shame. And they look at their situation and say, wow, I'm doing okay. Or the Lord's doing this, that, and the other thing, and we're building this. And I'm so excited, Brother Miller, tell them about our church. And it's always that pony. We're so excited about what God is doing. Yeah, what is God doing? Are you hearing messages on the cross and the blood? Are you weeping? Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you really trembling? Yeah, sure, tell me. Whose end is destruction? Who's, who mind, look at this, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things? Well, what would you expect? Who mind earthly things? My status, my contentment, my relationships with others. The relationship with the Lord is the key thing. Forget about others. They're not going to reward you at the judgment seat of Christ. But they're worried about who mind earthly things. Well, my relationships and I'm praying and I'm this and the Lord needs to work this out. And what if he doesn't? Well, this healing, you know, I've been praying and I, I need this healing and it's hard living this way. And I know there are Christians that are struggling and have this situation facing them every day and it's no picnic. I'm aware of that. But be careful about getting so stuck on that stuff. You lose sight of what God wants you to see. I look at Paul. Three times he prayed let this uh, about the thorn in the flesh. He wanted that to pass from him. But no, three times he was told, my grace is sufficient for thee. Probably couldn't mention it after that, that last uh, admonition. My grace is sufficient for thee. That was it. How would you like to be told that? And to keep bringing up the same issue and the same issue to the Lord in prayer every morning or every evening, having the Lord say, no, it's a closed matter. You're going to stay in this condition until you come home. That's it. What are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to quote scripture. Well, if I keep asking, if I keep seeking, if I keep knocking at the door, persistent prayer will pay off. Well, maybe it won't. Can you be more persistent than Paul? So they mind earthly things. And he says in verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're looking for the Savior, these earthly things are not going to matter that much. And besides, his promise is that he will supply all your need. Are you good enough with that promise? Is that, is that sufficient? So this is a whole bunch of Christians he's talking about here that are way off, gone off. Now, they're in a religious delusion, and the delusion is this. Many of them, I would venture a guess, most of them think they're okay with God. Oh, yes, preacher, I go to I go to service on Sunday. And, and I, I might even have a King James. I might be a King James Bible believer as opposed to those that fool around with the modern versions. How about that? And I've got tracts in my pocket. And I'm willing to give them out. And I do these things and I tithe. So I'm okay, right? I keep it. Yeah, I'm okay, sure. Do you think that? You, I'm sure you want to believe that, but are you really sure you're okay? Have you been drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of his shed blood? Have you experienced that? Because then you could say you're okay, you're really okay, and you've gotten the victory. So with all these things, tithing and tracts and King James Bible and all of that, going to church on Sunday and singing songs and listening to messages, are you really okay? Do you have the victory? That's the thing. Do you have the victory in your life over those bad habits that plague you? 
Do you have the victory? Are you walking at peace with the Lord, content in every situation and circumstance? Like Paul said, he had learned to be content. And he learned that in jail, I think. He wrote that in jail. Do you have that? Do you have the peace that passeth all understanding? That comes with you embracing the cross because it's at the cross where you first see the light. What is that light? You're a worthless nothing that was saved by grace. By virtue of the Lord's grace and his mercy, you were saved. You owe him everything. You're a debtor. Now, what stops you from getting the victory? Let me be plain. Your selfishness. Your selfishness. You're wanting it your own way. That's what stops you from getting the victory. Christ as your savior. Oh, yeah, amen. You get a free ticket out of hell. Thank the Lord. But Lord, but Lord, have you made him the Lord? Oh, Brother Militello, you're trying to talk me out of my salvation. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're saying amen. Thank God for that. But then what? Then what? Remember the 10 lepers that got healed? How many came back? One, where's the other 90%, the other nine? What happened to them? They took their salvation and they walked away. One comes back and commits himself with thankfulness to the Lord, realizing a miracle was done. And I owe the Lord. Do you realize that? If you looked at Calvary every morning, you would realize you owe the Lord. Look what he did. Look what he did. He died for you when you were a sinner. You could die for a good person in the in the in the fighting in World War II. My father told me often how many good men took a bullet for others, put themselves in dangerous situations to save their buddies. They loved their buddies, and there was a special bond between them. You know, like that movie Band of Brothers. My father told me it's the strongest bond that there could be outside of you and Jesus Christ. You bonding with those men that were in combat with you as the shells flew over your head and bodies got blown up around you. You have no idea what an effect that has on you. You carry that with you for the rest of your life. That's a bonding that's hard to describe. Are we bonded like that to Jesus Christ? When we look at the cross and we realize he died for us while we were miserable, filthy, dirty, no good sinners. What a bond that creates. We're brothers in blood. We are real brothers in blood, the Lord Jesus Christ and myself. That that alone, you keep dwelling on that. You meditate on that. That gives you the victory. So when something evil is pushed before you, you push it away without hesitation. I don't need this. Uh, First of all, I'm going to a better place. Okay, I've got that promise. And why would I want to grieve the one who loved me enough to die for me? Why would I want to grieve him? Why? What do I gain out of that? A few more earthly things, earthly satisfaction or pleasure of some kind. And for what? For what? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Wow. The cross, the cross, the cross. That's where my, where I, The burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith. I received the Lord by faith that day when I realized, and the Catholic Church never told me, they never explained to me what happened at the cross for me personally. No. And then they would tell me, you you eat this wafer here, and that's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Some sort of magic act turns that little wafer into the body and blood, blood? Where's the blood? What blood? What are you talking about? 
No, I get the body of Christ. I get the bread of life by reading my King James Bible, which was which is open to me right now as I speak. That beautiful, wonderful book. That's what feeds me. And then the blood of Jesus Christ oxygenated, having enough oxygen in it by virtue of the water of the word. And the blood connects with the water. And here I am fully restored on my way to heaven getting victory, learning to be content, and teaching others. Here's the way. The cross, the cross, the cross. Why would Paul even use that term, enemies of the cross of Christ? When I first showed this to a number of Christians, I said, no, he's talking about us. No, that's not unsafe people. These are not enemies of Christ. These are enemies of his cross. It's clear. And that's what you have in America today. And that explains what's happening in 2 Timothy chapter 3. They deny the power. They have the form of godliness. They appear godly. They even do godly things. And they speak of godly things. But they deny the power thereof. And why do they deny the power of their brothers and sisters? In order to hold on to their evil ways and habits. They will not come to the cross. Jesus said, they will not come to me. Why? And he explained it. For men love darkness rather than light. Even God's people cherish certain sins more than they do anything else. They cherish them and they will not come to me or they will not come to my cross where they could put it away, lay it down and get cleansed. Well, I told a priest once, what about this verse? And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. I said, your church doesn't teach that. It teaches it partially cleanses. But you got to keep going back to confession over and over and over again. And then receive communion. And then hope you have eternal life because you never know for sure. What kind of good news is that? You talk about the gospel being good news. Where's that good news? What is that? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. Amen. That's the truth. That's what I rely upon. He made a full payment, not a partial payment. He didn't put me on some layaway plan. Later on, you'll purchase this. No, I have eternal life right now. I'm not waiting for it. I have it right now. He that hath the son hath life. It's not something future. It's a present possession. You know, when you spend time in the book, you do get oxygenated. The water washes you and uh, it joins with the blood and you have power. You have power and you could say things to other Christians like, hey, what are you what are you doing? You could rebuke them. You could say, Come on. Now, from such turn away, but Paul wrote in the in Second Timothy three, having the form of godliness and stay away from these people. Why? Because it'll rub off on you. Their lack of power will creep in on you. You become like that, loose, loose Christians. Now, if you're strong as a Christian and you point out these wrongs, they'll call you a Pharisee. You have to deal with this stuff. I've been called that, Pharisee. Oh, yeah, really? Because I quote the verse, be ye holy for I am holy. We're not to pursue holiness. And if you do, that makes you a Pharisee. And by you saying that, you're just covering up the fact that you're not willing to quit. What you know in your conscience is wrong. You're rejecting. The Holy Spirit convicting you. That's denying the power. Yeah, you want everything to know about the Bible and Christ and who said what and who thinks this and the rapture theory and all of this stuff. But the key thing is you deny the power. 
You have the form of godliness, but you keep away from the power which comes from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if I hang if I hang with you long enough, spend time with you, I'll know I'll be able to see through the form of godliness. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a society where virtual reality has taken precedence over reality. Perception is greater than the reality today. This AI, artificial intelligence, this is going to be a big thing. People want to live in a virtual reality, believing something that's not real, but is so like what's real, they can cling to it. But it's counterfeit, just like the gospel of Catholic Church teaches, it's counterfeit. The form of godliness is a counterfeit thing. It's a form. It's not the reality. And if you disagree with me, then you don't know many Christians or what's going on in churches today. People having the form, but not the power. The power to say no. The the turning away from the flesh. You know, some, oh, I'm okay, Brother Militello. I read a chapter, you know, 10 chapters in the morning. Congratulations. Has that given you power with the Lord? Anybody could do that. The power that you need comes from the Holy Spirit when you're faced with temptation, and you will be continually. And what do you do then? Okay. Well, I'm glad I've had the opportunity to explain these things to you. And I'm against the form of godliness in all its all its manifestations because I had it in my life. Uh, to, uh, going to Christian grades, Catholic schools, and Brendan's. Uh, what, eight years, two years of kindergarten, actually 10 years there at St. Brendan's, four years at a Jesuit school, 1959 to 1963. So um, I graduated 60 years ago, this month, in fact. Yeah, 60 years ago, and a couple of months later, John F. Kennedy was killed. And then I went on to, uh, well, get the college degrees, but also teach in a Catholic school for five years with nuns and priests, and, and I knew all there was to know, I think, just about what the Catholic Church teaches. And I was under a delusion. I had the form of godliness. I had to. I was teaching young children. I had the form of godliness, but not the power, because evil habits still were just as strong then when I was teaching in the Catholic Church as they were when I was a youth in school or in college fooling around. What broke all of that? What broke that power was coming to Calvary. And the Lord had to take me there. I didn't want to go on my own. The cross is a death instrument. You shun that and you love darkness rather than light so you can hold on to your sins. But the Lord, oh, how wonderful he is. He sends his Holy Spirit to keep convicting and convicting and convicting and getting me to think over and over again, I'm in trouble. I'm not doing right. I knew enough of that, even being Catholic. I, <laughs> my conscience was condemning me because of the law. I knew the law. I had it in my mind and heart. Thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. And I was breaking every commandment. So I knew enough that uh, I needed help. But I resisted going to that, that cross, that death instrument. But the Lord brought me there graciously. How merciful he is. And says, take a good look. What do you see? You see a lamb butchered, the lamb of God, butchered and bloody and bleeding. And ugh. and that's for you. And that's for you. And that blood will cleanse you. And it's a full payment. Everything is canceled. Everything is wiped away. No priest is going to tell you that in confession. They'll expect you to come back next week and the week after and 
keep coming back and getting that stupid absolution. I absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son, the whole nonsense. And I said, wow, what a savior. Look at that. Now, what do I do? Do I do like the nine lepers, say amen, thank you, and walk away? Or do I make the commitment God wants me to make, that full commitment? Too many have made professed godliness. Lord, Lord, do. look at it, Matthew 7, I think it's verse 12 or 15. Did we not prophesy in thy name? Do many wonderful works in thy name? Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I knew you not. I never knew you. What do you mean you never knew you? We knew you. We knew you were the Lord. We professed faith in Jesus Christ. And we did all these things in your name. We built hospitals and orphanages and schools and everything in the name. We even took your blood. I even know a Catholic church said it's called the precious blood of Christ. And they have a feast day, the feast of the precious blood, all of that. They talk about the blood. And they don't even have it. They don't have it. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. What a blow. Having the form of God. Now they find out right then and there what you had was a form, a shadow. You never had the substance. Why? You were not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You walked and walked supposedly with the Lord, but you never walked to Calvary with your sins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So what does religion really do? What 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 is the the counterfeit religion that people have do? It's like a band-aid on cancer. It eases their conscience, which is constantly being hammered by the Holy Spirit. If they have not completely closed down, he still bothers them. And that turn away that condemning, that conviction by adding more and more religion, but just bathing yourself in the form of godliness and hope that that conviction goes away. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And then at the white throne ju judgment, you realize what you had was nothing, and you go into the lake of fire. Oh, my God, what a scary thing. So, brothers and sisters, we're living in scary times, and Paul pointed this out, 18 different characteristics of the last days of the church, and here he is ending with having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And when you deny that power, you don't have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you might be saved. You, like Paul said in Philippians 3, you might be plugged into the body of Jesus Christ, but you don't have the power and you can't minister without that power. You can't. Oh, you can give a testimony, but you can't really effectively minister without the power the, uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ, from his Holy Spirit. You need that anointing. You need that power. And too few Christians have it today. It's it's like my son spending extra time in the ICU. Too many of God's people are never getting out of the ICU. They should have gotten out. They should have been taken care of and sent home, but they're still there. And there's too few victorious Christians working on their recovery. We're losing good soldiers. I hear about it all the time. They've gone home to glory. Another one the other day. We're losing the the, the fighters. The ones who supply the, the strength and the encouragement, they're going away. And, the, and so the system is overwhelmed. The Lord's healthcare system is overwhelmed. There's no more ICU beds. They're all filled up with Christians who refuse to do what God is telling them to do. Quit your devilment. Let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord, what? Depart from iniquity. Can you be more clear? Do you need that interpreted? 
So the system is overwhelmed and there's too few Christians left that can help you get you out of the ICU. God help us. These are the perilous times that Paul warned about and they're here. God help you to get through them and come out with the victory. Amen. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. Trumpets will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be in the skies Going where no one dies Heavenward bound